Hello, and welcome to Who Says No, the NBA trade podcast, where we have, hey, guess what? Actual NBA trades to talk about. That's right. It's no more speculation. Things are happening before the NBA trade deadline. My name is Colin Ward-Henninger. I'm an NBA writer at CBS Sports, and with me is my co-host, another writer at CBS Sports. You can find his hot takes on Twitter, Samuel Quinn. How are you doing today, buddy? Samuel, are you my parents, and are you disappointed with me? You never once called me Samuel. On Twitter, you're Samuel H. Quinn. So I went to career counseling. Makes you sound like a founding father. Well, that was the idea. I don't know if I've ever told the origin story of my name, but my mom thought it sounded presidential. So that that makes some sense. I went to career counseling my senior year of college, and they were very big on, like, you need to send the appearance of professionalism in everything you do. So if your full name is Samuel, we expect Samuel. We expect a middle initial. I regret that because when I go on radio shows now and I go on people's podcasts, there's a lot of Samuels and nobody in my life calls me Samuel except for my disappointed parents. Do you do you ever have like a moment where you're like you're like, all right, this is I'm being Sam right now. I got to be Samuel. And then you have like an adult moment. Does that ever happen? I've never thought of it that way, but I really like that metaphor. And now on, I think I'm going to steal that. I have to do my taxes this weekend. I think that's going to be a Samuel moment. Yeah, we're just rolling the viewers in, just bringing them in. We're talking about taxes, name change, all sorts of stuff. But what we are here to talk about is the NBA trade that, you know, made some waves when it finally got announced. And that is, of course, Hamadou Diallo for Steve McKaylook, the one that's what everybody wants to talk about, right? We're like a week late on that one, bud. Yeah, well, we haven't talked in a while. It's, you know, we've been having guests and it's, it's, you know, I missed you, man. Well, this is nice. This is the banter that people come here for. Right. But really what we're here to talk about is uh, the P.J. Tucker trade. P.J. Tucker, who had been, you know, basically told not to play anymore, one because the Rockets are tanking and one because he had no desire to play for that team anymore. Uh, and he was sent to the Bucks, who were one of the teams a lot of people uh, probably Including thought us. were going to be suitors. That's right. We may or may not have mentioned him in, in our trade podcast because we're pretty good at this stuff, not to toot our own horns. But uh, he got sent to the Bucks in a deal that was uh, on the surface uh, most people probably didn't think much of it, but Sam, you love this deal and you did uh, do your trade grades, which are up on CBSSports.com right now. But uh, first of all, explain why you like this deal so much. We'll get to the basketball side of this in a little bit. I want to talk about the cap nerdery here. The Bucks came into today, and we are recording this Wednesday night. They came into today with zero tradable first round picks. And yet they somehow managed to trade two first-round picks in this trade. The way that they did that was, as you know, if you listen to the show, there's something called the Stepien rule. You know, ring the cowbell. Ding, 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 ding. The Stepien rule prevents you from being without a first-round pick for consecutive years. The Bucks did not previously own their own 2022 second or first-round pick, which meant that they couldn't trade their picks in 2021 or 2023. The Rockets happened to have their 2022 first round pick. They traded it back to the Bucks, which made their 2021 and 2023 picks tradable, which they ultimately sent to Houston in this deal. Now they also got back Houston's 2021 second round pick. But just from a nerd standpoint, if this is a really interesting construction of a trade, we sort of came into this thinking when Tucker gets traded, it's probably going to be for several second round picks. Maybe that's the value approximation here, because if you really look at what they did, they basically moved up from the bottom of the second round, or rather the top of the second round, to the bottom of the first round. 
I'm going to say they're probably moving up from like number 32 to number 27 this year, something like that. And then they swapped a 2022 first round pick for a 2023 first round pick from the same team. I think that was pretty smart because the Bucks are old and you want to have their picks later. Brooke Lopez is 32. Drew Holiday is 30. Chris Middleton, I believe, turns 30 this year. P.J. Tucker is 35. The later you can get picks from the Bucks, the better. So in the aggregate, I think Houston did pretty well. They didn't walk away with a bunch of nothing second-round picks in the 40s or 50s. They got meaningful upgrades in value even if they didn't add any picks. This stuff, man. So I'm just reading your you know, your trade grades and I get to this paragraph and I'm just like, my eyes go cross. I'm like, what is happening? Like they had, they're trading picks that they don't even have. And then now they're getting back their old pick and all this stuff is super confusing, but they're we should just lay out the trade because I don't think I actually did that. This is being a bad host. So the trade was, uh, the Rockets traded PJ Tucker, Rodion's Kuroops, who's, who's making the world tour here, uh, and Milwaukee's 2022 first round pick that Sam was talking about back to the Bucks. And in exchange, they got DJ Augustine, DJ Wilson, because you got to keep the DJs together, particularly if you're trading for a PJ. You know, you got to have the DJs. I hadn't even thought of that, but you're right. <laughs> and then yeah, unprotected. What's up with Rodion Kirk? He's the only person in this trade without a J in his name. You know, he's like an RJ. He just doesn't like to go. You know, he, he wanted to make it clear that he was Europeans. He's like, we're going to go by Rodion's, not do well, the okay. RJ thing. No, no, I've got it. I've got the joke here. Ready? Let's hear it. No J in his name, but a J in his game. Wow. Did you just, was that ad lib? <laughs> that was totally off the top. I'm Have you been going to good. improv classes? <laughs> I actually did improv in college, but we'll tell that story another time. Yes, and? I am a fantastic yes, Andrew, but yes, go on. I bet you would be. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and they got the, uh, you know, the, the picks that Sam was talking about, the 2023 first round pick and the uh, 2021 pick swap, which will essentially become Milwaukee's first round pick. But uh, yeah, also kind of related, uh, the Bucks also traded Torrey Craig to the Suns, which is kind of weird. I don't know. Did we think, I think a lot of people thought Torrey Craig would at least have a role on this team. He hasn't so far, but surprised to see them give him up at all. I th- would have thought that he was going to be a part of their playoff rotation. And like, he's not quite as switchy as PJ Tucker is, but they're sort of similar players, right? Like really good defenders can defend across the forward spectrum Craig isn't quite bulky enough to hang with centers like Tucker is, but could put up a fight. Like, they're similar players. The issue is Tucker is a way better shooter. Craig just, for the most part, is a pretty bad shooter every now and then. Like, in the 2019 playoffs, he was very good for the Nuggets. That hasn't sustained. So when you can't shoot, doesn't really matter what you can do on defense. So I'm a little surprised it didn't work out, but I get it from Milwaukee's perspective. Yeah, and from Milwaukee's perspective, getting P.J. Tucker is – a big deal in a lot of ways, right? Uh, they've been switching more this season, which has resulted in their defense getting a lot worse. But the goal is that eventually they'll work out whatever system they're going to have in the playoffs and they'll be a lot better for it. We've seen the last couple of postseasons that it seemed that Mike Budenholzer was either too stubborn to change to more of a switching scheme or his he didn't feel that his team was capable of doing it. And he's clearly gone the opposite direction and trying to make that a part of their defense this year. And if you're talking about switching defenses, you know, P.J. Tucker is kind of the poster boy for that. He can guard, you know, basically one through five, you know, and uh, incredibly tough physical defender. Played center for the Rockets, you know, very famously when they decided to go all in on small ball, but can also guard the wings. Uh, you know, on paper, Sam, I think this is pretty much exactly what the Bucks needed. 
we've talked about this on this show that we don't think that, or at least I don't, I can't remember where you fall on this. I don't think that Brooke Lopez should be closing playoff games for the Bucks if they have any interest in switching. And guess what? If you're playing the Nets, you have to be able to switch against them. They have that much shooting. I think it's the only way to reasonably contest them. You couldn't do that with Brooke Lopez on the floor. You can do it with PJ Tucker. And I think a lot of the reason that they've declined on defense while switching is that they haven't had the right personnel to switch, at least not across the whole roster, right? Giannis can switch. Drew Holiday can switch. Middleton can switch. Brooke Lopez cannot switch. Bobby Portis, better than Lopez, but not by much. They needed somebody like this who could credibly defend centers, but also switch defensively. And by the way, I am as interested in this on offense as I am on defense. Brooke Lopez is not really as good a shooter as his reputation suggests. 31.4% last year, 33.9% this year. Like, he had that one great year, his first year with the Bucks. Since then, he's a 32% three-point shooter. I look back at that Nets-Bucks game right after the Harden trade, where DeAndre Jordan defended Giannis for the most part. If P.J. Tucker is shooting 39% from the corners— which he has over the past several years, he's declined this year, suddenly you can't have DeAndre Jordan in the game. You have to have somebody in the game who can credibly defend the perimeter. That's not DeAndre Jordan. So if you're taking him out, you're playing small ball with, say, Jeff Green at center or Blake Griffin at center. Well, Blake's not really small ball. But if you're taking out DeAndre, what are you doing about Giannis? That is a real problem defensively for the Nets, who already had other defensive issues. That, I think, is the more interesting element of that for the one matchup that really matters. Right. And, and I guess to that point, like, it's clear that this move is made with Brooklyn in mind, right? I mean, we can't really beat around the bush. That's going to be the team, I guess, them and the 76ers that you're going to have to go through. And, you know, uh, Tucker obviously helps with the Sixers, too, being able to guard multiple positions and things like that. But I think, you know, we always talk about this with teams, especially these higher level playoff teams is like, they want options, right? Like last year, the Lakers could go big or they could go small with Anthony Davis at center. Um, and PJ Tucker is the ultimate option piece. Like if you want to play him next to Brooke Lopez, you can and keep that rim protection because, you know, uh, Tucker is able to guard in the perimeter and, and just stand in the corner on, and um, in the three point line on offense. So he's not going to bog things down for Giannis. So um, I don't think I don't think that's going to happen a lot. But I do think that it gives them that functionality and that ability to kind of switch things up because we see that a lot in the playoffs, right? Like things are going one way and you force an adjustment from a team. So what's your adjustment going to be? Maybe it's inserting Tucker into the starting lineup and instead of Brooke Lopez, it's for Dante DiVincenzo and you go a little bit bigger, something like that. But I just think like playoff coaches like having these kind of options and Tucker's, you know, the perfect guy to present those options. So I like the idea of, I mean, they didn't trade Brooke Lopez, obviously, but I like the idea of being able to go to those extremes of, Against some lineups, we're going to switch everything. Against some lineups, we're going to drop everything. I think if you time that right, that could work well against Brooklyn. Like San Antonio famously has had a lot of success dropping against James Harden. Now, when they were doing that, James Harden wasn't playing with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. So maybe that's exclusively do a bench lineup thing. But it's a nice option to have in your back pocket if you want to try to force Harden to take mid-range jumpers. But when you have all three stars on the floor with Joe Harris and they have more shooting than, you know, maybe any team ever has, you have to be able to switch. I'm sorry. Like that's the only way to defend that sort of offensive firepower. Tucker knows this well. He did it in Houston against the Warriors. 
I don't necessarily think that they're going to be able to play elite defense against the Nets. Like, I think the Nets are going to get their points. But I think they've improved enough that it's feasible that given all of Brooklyn's defensive issues, they might be able to outscore the Nets now. And I do, so like a big picture, like if you're zooming out, like it was pretty clear that the Bucks weren't on Brooklyn's level, right? And I don't know if they are now, but I think it's almost not debatable that they are closer to Brooklyn now. And if, it, you know, mostly because they have uh, another guy, right? So you're saying, all right, we got Drew Holiday, we got Middleton, we got Giannis. Who are other guys that we're going to be closing games with? Who are the other guys that we trust? DiVincenzo's played great, but we don't know what he'll look like in the playoffs. You mentioned Brook Lopez's limitations. Uh, now we have another guy who we know we can throw on the court uh, in the heart of, of uh, the most competitive playoff game you could imagine. And he's going to compete and he's going to play and he's going to be able to play multiple positions. So I think just by that, the Bucks have gotten a lot better with this trade. But I so, personally, I, yeah, go ahead. How many guys do you think Brooklyn has? Like, I'm sort of fascinated by this because I think now Brooklyn and Milwaukee are tied at six. And I think that, I mean, Brooklyn's guys are better. I think Brooklyn has an advantage in that series. But I sort of look at it. I'm trying to think these are the guys that really matter for Brooklyn. It's the stars. Joe Harris, Jeff Green, Bruce Brown. Are Those you trusting? Are yeah, but are you trusting Bruce Brown and Jeff Green in thing. like real playoff games? I guess that's what I'm, I'm saying with like DiVincenzo and Brooke yeah. Lopez. Like they're good players and I would want to trust them. But I don't know when it comes down to it if I really can. I'm honestly not sure because what is going to happen is, I mean, Jeff Green is shooting 40% from threes this year. He is not somebody on paper you should be sagging off of. But given everything else Brooklyn has offensively, Teams are going to do that. Teams are going to leave Jeff Green open. And it's going to come down to, is Jeff Green going to shoot 40% on his seven threes per game in the playoffs? Or is he going to shoot 35%? Like, that's going to be the difference for them. Bruce Brown, teams are not going to defend him one iota. Can they still score at a high enough level to justify his defense? I would think yes, but we'll see. Like, these are real questions. But if you're talking about the guys on the roster that are good enough to, like, really matter and trust, like, we can keep this guy on the floor— it's those six for Brooklyn. It's Giannis, Drew, Middleton, for sure. Those are the obvious ones. Then you have Tucker, Lopez, DiVincenzo as your probably, like, maybe not closing, but, like, definitely playable in the playoffs. Beyond that is what I'm really curious about. Like, is Brooklyn going to be able to trust Nick Claxton in the playoffs? Are they going to be able to trust Blake Griffin? Is Milwaukee going to get another guy? Like, is Timothy Luwalu Cabarro going to go on one of his shooting streaks? Like, I am really fascinated by who is going to be number seven, number eight, number nine for those teams in those matchups, because right now it's not clear. And it's like if you're just looking at it from that perspective, right, if each team has six guys that you trust, the, the three that Brooklyn has out of the six are yeah. a lot better than the three that Milwaukee has. So, I, I mean, you, if you're not going to if you're not going to match star power, you have to have like overwhelming depth of like, you know, the 2000. 19 Toronto Raptors who are just like just dripping with you know you have quality. to have eight or nine like starter level guys and right, right now let's have six I don't think that they're gonna get guy number seven or guy number eight but this is something that's worth pointing out well there are two things first of all the Bucks got an extra tradable asset in this trade they got Houston's 2021 second round pick that's basically a first rounder, right? Like the Rockets. Hey, hey, a, come on! They're gonna turn it the, around. They're gonna turn it around. Christian they Woods lost back. Eighteen games in a row. Eighteen <laughs> games in a row. It's 
I, they had they didn't win while Kristen Wood was he was injured for like three months so they didn't win a game. They are eleven and twenty eight right now. They were above five hundred when this losing streak started. Like that's how wild this is. But they were playing well. I remember that. That second round pick they got from Houston. That's probably like the number thirty one or thirty two pick. You could argue that that's more valuable than a first round pick because it's not subject to the rookie scale. You can get that guy and sign him for the minimum if the agent is agreeable. That is a valuable trade chip that now they can now dangle that they did not have before. They also saved a fair bit of money in this trade. They saved around $3 million. They were right up against the hard cap before. They had like 500000 in room. Now, technically, because of incentives and a couple of contracts, they're below the luxury tax line, at least in theory, depending on how those incentives play out. They have extra room against the hard cap to make another trade. If they wanted to package a couple of their second-tier guys, say, let's throw together Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, and Bryn Forbes, that's like $10 million in salary. You could go out and get another guy if you attach that second-round pick to him. Like, I don't think they have to be done. I think it's likelier that they don't want to pay the tax, and they are done. But if the Bucks wanted to keep shopping, they could. Well, they... I mean, let's just look at the players that they lost. DJ Wilson obviously wasn't a part of anything, much to the chagrin of Bucks fans who thought he could be the answer for a while. But um, DJ Augustine was playing meaningful, meaningful minutes for them. And he wasn't good, but he was playing. I, right. I, so I guess what I'm saying is like he needs to be replaced in some way, shape, or form. Now, are you just giving those extra minutes to Connaughton, or are you looking for, you know, someone to to be more of that backup point guard role, or are you just trying to get whatever talent you can find that's going to help you in the playoffs? I'm pretty open-minded on a talent perspective, but I think it has to be a guard. And ideally, I think they need like a microwave score. Like they need somebody who can just come in, give them 12 minutes against bench units and get them 15 points. I've thought of a couple of guys, the high end of this, the guy that I'm really considering because he's he costs so little that they wouldn't have to break up the rest of their bench to get him. Do you think that given LaMelo Ball's ascent, Terry Rozier's ascent, and Malik Monk's comeback story, do you think that the Hornets would be open to trading Devontae Graham for that Houston pick and maybe some other stuff? Is that a real question? Are you asking me who says no? Well, the Hornets say no. I know that that's where you're going. <laughs> but, like, let me make my argument here. Devontae Graham's a restricted free agent this offseason. If they don't plan to re-sign him, and I don't know what their plans are. I mean, it's it's a bad asset play if they don't, but I don't think he's really a part of their future. I don't think it would be the worst idea to like sniff around offers for now. I I mean, I definitely see where you're coming from, but I think he's too good to to get that package back. I think you gotta get something that you actually like. And you know, for where Charlotte is, an attractive second round pick for Devontae Graham, who is you know, a season off of coming off this tremendous breakout year. He obviously had a slow start to the season, and he's going to have to get reacclimated to a bench role now that Lamelo is the best player in the NBA. But I, I don't think they would get rid of him for that. But I, I see what you're saying in terms of a, a low-cost addition kind of surefire bench scorer that the Bucks would be looking for in this situation. I just don't know who's out there. I mean, you mentioned they could get to like $10 million. That sounds like like Lou Williams territory is that shit. Right, that was the next name that I wanted to get to. The Clippers aren't going to just send the Bucks Lou out of the goodness of their hearts. But we assume that the Clippers are out there, especially like right now, the Clippers are tied with the Nuggets for fourth in the loss column in the in the West. The Clippers have a couple more wins, so they have fourth place. But like their situation is not looking great right now. 
Lou is their most obvious matching salary. He's their worst defender. Like, if they're going to trade somebody, it's probably going to be Lou. Now, let's say they go to the Thunder and say, we'll give you Lou and some other minimum salary guy just to make it work from the hard cap to get George Hill. The Thunder aren't going to want Lou Williams, but they might want that second round pick from the Bucks. So that's a pretty workable three-team trade right there, right? I like that. I like that a lot. I was already, when you said George Hill, I was like, ooh. And then you're like, the Thunder aren't going to want him. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. That kind of reminds me of the uh, the Svi Mihailov trade, if we want to talk about that. I immediately I am, thought that they were going to flip him to a contender because it's like they got this sh- shooter guy. And it, sound, it seemed like an asset player where they're like, somebody's going to want a knockdown three-point shooter at some point. While we're at it, yeah, the Bucs would love Steve McHiluk. I mean, I am irrationally high on him because, you know, he was a Laker and I watched all of his games for a year. That dude is more than just a shooter. He can dribble. Like, he can do stuff. But I digress. We're not he he was trying that. to do a little too much with the Pistons. That's not his fault. They didn't have any He's players. on the Pistons. What they didn't have any players. Okay. That dude, he can attack closeouts. That's my point. Like, yeah. He is not, like, he's not Danny Green. Who's, yeah. like, he, can't, he, he, gets, can dribble. he gets some boards. He does some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the obvious one, I think. It depends on the Clippers making a move, which, look, we the Clippers are Fort Knox. Like, for all we know, they're trying to trade Paul George right now. Like, they could be doing anything, and I'd buy it. So I, I don't know what they're what they're cooking up, but if they are trying to make a trade, I would be in touch with them about that. Some other names, I don't like any of these that much, but, like, I'll just throw them out there. DeLon Wright, like, maybe a little bit, but he doesn't shoot well enough. Like, I, I guess that's a nice talent play, but... Is he better than Pat Connaughton? Maybe a little, not much. Um, yeah, he's a weird player, too. I've been watching way too many Pistons games this year. The Orlando guys are a bit too expensive. Like, I don't think you could get Terrence Ross. I, I just, that's maybe the, maybe they do a late first round pick. I doubt it. Um, Evan Fournier makes too much money, so can't do that. I thought about Dylan Brooks for a minute because Memphis has too many players. I would not, like, if I were a playoff team, like, I just don't think that my heart could take having Dylan Brooks on my team. Could like, you imagine just have, like, the antacids right next to you? It would be like that airplane scene. It's like, looks like I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue and just, like, hanging from the ceiling. We never had the airplane conversation. It's NBA adjacent, and it's Bucks adjacent, too, because of Kareem. Like, Surely we've had the, best, the airplane man. conversation. That's, it's honestly, like, it's one of the five funniest movies ever made. I love airplanes to death. I laugh so hard every time. Oh my god, it's perfect. It's funny because that's like, you know, on paper that's like one of my least favorite styles of comedy, like the slapstick, like you yeah, know, it shouldn't obvious. work, but it does. Right, but then you watch that movie and you just you never stop laughing. Like it's yeah. literally not one time during that film that you're not rolling on the floor laughing. Water skiing nuns magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I totally lost my train of. Th- oh yeah, we were talking about basketball. We're talking about airplanes. Um, Dylan Brooks. That's where like. I think back to Daryl Morey talking about his risk profile of like how you have to be more aggressive to beat these super teams. I don't think my risk profile, and this is coming from like me, the guy who's just championships are bust. I wouldn't, my risk profile isn't high enough for Dylan Brooks. I'm sorry. Like that's just, that's a little too much. Lou is clearly the best fit among guys that are feasibly available. This is quietly not a great year at the deadline to be looking for guards. And I think if you're the Clippers, I mean, you know, this is coming off. They they are not playing well. And I think this this fear of like, oh, no, here we go again is kind of starting to seep in. I, I can't speak for what's going on within the organization, but that's certainly what it's looking like from the outside is like, is this team really just going to try to roll out in the playoffs and say, all right, we got the best, you know, 
tandem in the NBA from the wing, so we're going to win because, like, clearly that didn't work last year. So uh, the Lou Williams stuff, he hasn't – I mean, he had, like, a stretch for a while when – I think when Paul George was out or somebody was out and he was playing pretty well. But other than that, he, he's been basically nothing, and you can replace all of his minutes with Luke Kennard. So, uh, the Clippers the George, don't seem to want to, by the way. Like, Which is so Luke, weird because they gave him so much money. He has not played well this year. I'm not going to defend Luke Kennard, who I really liked coming into the season, but I am a little surprised just how hesitant they've been to give him minutes, especially, like, I like Terrence Mann fine. Like, I think Terrence Mann is going to be an NBA player, but you just gave Luke Kennard $64 million. Like, you don't want to maybe see if you're getting the most out of that money. I love that Luke Kennard because my dad, I'm from LA, so my dad watches Clippers and Lakers games, and he's like, who's that, that guy, the Clippers guy, that Kennard guy? I'm like, yeah, he's pretty good. He's like, he's like a, a shooter, but he can't shoot. Uh, look it up. He's shooting 45% from three this year. It's like, dad, you need to, to watch Well, yeah, it's game. just that he never plays. That Yeah, like, partly that. And he never, maybe when he, he never shoots. His, when he makes his shots, they're probably not of too much consequence, so that's probably well, what he's thinking. That's it. He's super hesitant, too, or at least he has been in the in at least the game where he was getting minutes earlier in the season. Like, his volume needed to be significantly higher. Also, can we talk about how the Detroit Pistons just totally boonswoggled the, the the Nets and the Clippers, like two of the best teams in the NBA? You want to talk about swaggling? I'm always in. <laughs> they walk away from that trade with Sadiq Bay, who as a rookie is already better than Kennard and Landry Shamit. I love Bay in the draft. Just, Check the receipts. The Clippers or the Nets could have had Sadiq Bay, and they both said no. Like, that's just kind of wild to me. Yeah. He was such a, like, immediate help. To, like, I don't know, just from doing draft analysis, like, that was the guy who you're like, we could plug him in immediately, and he's going to be a helpful NBA player. Like, his, his, you know, ceiling might not be as high as some of these other guys, but, yeah, very odd. He is also exactly what the Nets need specifically. Like, maybe the Clippers can say, okay, we have enough big wings. The Nets would love Sadiq Bay. Yeah, well, maybe if they knew they were going to get James Harden at the time, they would have drafted him. How much do you think that factors in? Like, I, I'm just—do you think at the time they were making decisions based on the idea that they would or would not have James Harden? I almost wonder if they had an inkling because they didn't spend the mid-level, right? Like, I think they probably knew that this team was going to get more expensive in season and were maybe a little hesitant. I mean, it's certainly possible. I don't pretend to know how these people operate, but. I do know that in general, uh, teams don't really look at fit very much, particularly in the first round. They just kind of take the best player and see where that goes. But team by team thing, but I think for the most part, you're right. Yeah, but obviously there's exceptions when you have like a gaping hole somewhere. But you know, uh, you see what happens when you draft for fit. As the Warriors pick James Wiseman over the mellow ball, they're going to be regretting that one. I. Was that really a fit thing, though? Like, if you're really thinking about... The They're long saying game, it wasn't, but I well, mean... <laughs> well, like, I'm just... Let's play this out. The competitive version of the Warriors next year, who's their center? It's Draymond Green. Kavon Looney? Well, no, it's Draymond Green, right? Like, <laughs> in, when it matters, it's going to be Draymond. And I don't know, maybe Looney can play some minutes. They'll do the thing that they always do, which is sign 15 centers for the back of the roster. Like, I don't think that they were necessarily hurting for center. I think... The fit would have been Anthony Edwards, who went, obviously, to Minnesota, and that was out of their control. I don't know that LaMelo would have been a bad fit, but that's a whole other conversation. We've gone it's way meant, like, positionally, you know. Right, yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to the books. Does this make them uh, competitive with the Nets? I think competitive is the right word. Like, I think if they played that series 100 times, I'd pick, I'd say the Nets would win 80. But, like, they have wow. a shot. 
Is that competitive? Well, that's like they have a, okay, if the Nets played, uh, I'm if they played Boston a hundred times and I, we assumed health, I would say that the Nets would probably win like ninety eight. Like I don't think that the Celtics have a real chance to beat them. Wow. I think the Bucks are like they have a real shot. Like it's not a great one. Like they're not the favorites. They are the underdogs in that series. But like they have a meaningful shot. Where do you come down on it? Um. Yeah, I do. Like I said earlier, I think it gets them a lot closer. I think they're they're closer than 80 out of 100, maybe like 70, 68, something like that. So um, like you pick the Nets two thirds of the time. Yes. And that this all obviously hinges on health for the Nets, which is a little bit scary at this point, considering, you know, Kevin Durant's been out a little bit longer than expected and Kyrie Irving just continues to miss games here and there for random reasons. Uh, but James Harden's been amazing. Um, I, I think, you know, it's hard to argue that the Nets aren't the hands-down favorite in the East. Um, but I do think this this signing is, the, the or sorry, this trade, the reason you trade for him is to, to compete with the Nets. And I think that that does exactly that. Ultimately, it's going to come down to Giannis and what he's able to do um, when they build that wall and do all the things that teams do in the postseason. Um, because the Nets have three players who could potentially be better than him in any game during a seven-game series, which is pretty remarkable considering he's a back-to-back MVP. But how many teams in general have one player who can be the best player in that series? The Lakers do. The Bucks now do as well, or they always have, but they have now put that player in a better position to succeed by getting Tucker. It's a short list, right? Like, Maybe Kawhi could be the best player. Like, maybe Embiid could. But it's a very short list. When you're talking about outplaying Durant and Harden, like, that's no small thing. It's crazy, man. It's funny because, like, you know, we have this podcast. We obviously are very analytical in what we write and what we look at. And then, like, when you're analyzing the East, it's like, well, they just have better players. (laughs) There's not a whole lot to analyze here. The Nets are... If they do win the championship, which, like, I think there's a very good chance that they do, they're really going to push the talent is all that matters idea in basketball to a point that I'm almost uncomfortable with. Because, like, at that point, what you're essentially telling other players is you have to just team up with the best player you can find. Don't think about the fit. Don't think about defense. Defense doesn't matter. I'm not sure that's healthy for the game of basketball. Well, I mean, we also, you know, we talked about this a little off air, but like the role players are getting so good at their roles. Like three point shooters are better. You know, uh, three and D guys are better. Drop centers are better. Like rim runners and lob catchers are better. So if you can get look at the Lakers last year, like you get LeBron and Anthony Davis and you just figure the rest out. You hope a couple guys get hot during the playoffs, put them in good positions, get veterans, you know, and. I just think it's going to, as you mentioned, like, I, th- I think the formula is there with the way the game is played now with all the three-pointers is just get the three, you know, two to three most talented guys you can possibly get and then surround them with guys who just, you know, play their roles well and, and hope everything goes according to plan. I just see that that's a, at least for teams who are able to acquire those types of players, a much more feasible way of trying to win a championship than trying to assemble five really really good players or you know one star surrounded by you know a, a cutter of you know really excellent veterans you know i just don't know well, yeah i think really 
you you have to start with one, right? Like you don't have to like draft Durant, Westbrook, Harden. Like get your one and know that in today's NBA, teams are aggressive enough that you can probably usually get your two if you're willing to be a little crazy about it. Like say the Bucks were, they give up all their draft capital to get Drew Holiday or the Nets were when they gave up all their draft capital to get James Harden. Like if you draft the one, you can trade all of your first round picks and all of your young talent to get the second one. And then from there, like you're 90% done and it's easy enough to get role players now. Like you said, that maybe that's what you should do. Like maybe your asset distribution should strictly be, we commit everything to finding the one or two guys and everybody beyond that will trust that we figure it out. I think the nets are going to be very instructive on that front. If the Lakers beat them, what it is going, and we assume that Lakers nets is probably going to be the finals. It might not be, but like, let's say that's what it is. If the Lakers win that series, what it's going to tell us is like, you have to give real consideration to what happens beyond the stars. And if the nets win it, what it says is you can figure that stuff out. And it obviously depends on how good the stars are. <laughs> what is well, a right. star there, and what's not. There's a not. difference between, like, the Nets have two top seven, eight, like, two top, top tier guys and a third guy who's not far behind. Like, if you have three borderline all-stars, you know, that's that's not as encouraging. Like, the Raptors have Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi who are, like, all sort of borderline guys that's not going to cut it right and, and if you look at the bucks like they have chris middleton who's very very good and you know a, an amazing player but like he's their second best player like by far i guess depending on how you feel about drew holiday you think he's better than drew? i think drew's better yeah i think middleton's better i just don't trust drew offensively i don't know why maybe i'm wrong on that but i don't know um Defensively is great, but I think Middleton's really good defensively too. So I think what Middleton does offensively is is much better than Drew, but that's just me. But anyway, if it's him or if it's Drew, whatever, the Nets' second best player is either James Harden or Kevin Durant, depending on the night. So not very good. You could argue that Brooklyn's second best player would be the best player on the on the Bucks, right? Like you could argue that James Harden is better than Giannis. I right. think I'd probably rather have Giannis, but it's it's close. Yeah, and if it's even close, I mean, yeah. But anyway, the uh, another trade we should talk about the Heat got got Myers Leonard the hell off the team and uh, picked up Trevor Ariza, who presumably could fill that Jay Crowder spot that they've kind of been hoping to fill all season. What do you think about the the Heat getting uh, Ariza, and do you think that that puts them any higher on their playoff ceiling than they would have been otherwise? I think it was sort of a, if you don't use it, you lose it situation with some of their expiring contracts. Leonard being the most obvious one, since there was no way they were ever going to play him again for obvious reasons that we don't need to get into. So from that perspective, if they didn't have anything else out there they liked, sure, by all means, take a swing on Trevor Ariza. Trevor Ariza is also, fun fact, the last active player in the NBA to have won a championship with Kobe Bryant. Like, that dude is pretty old. Like he's he's been around the block. Like he was drafted by Isaiah Thomas in New York. Like that that guy's old. There's a reason that he only cost a second round pick in matching salary. If you think that he's going to be Jay Crowder and like people have really overlooked what Jay Crowder gave to the Heat, he shot 45% from three in the regular season with them, and then in the first two rounds he shot 40%. Like he didn't that miss. High, in the first, I don't care what right. the stats say. He did not miss a three in the first two rounds. That is high level defense plus elite elite shooting. You're not getting that from Trevor Ariza. You're getting 
decent enough defense. And if he gets hot, like he can have a couple of really nice games. But at this point in his career, like Trevor Ariza is not really a game changer for you. I imagine he's coming off of the bench. I'm really fascinated with what they're going to do with their starting lineup because they've gone back to the stretch big situation where Kelly Olenek starts, or at least like that was what they were doing um, beforehand. Then they get to the playoffs and Bam Adebayo is at center, Crowder is at the four, and you're going as small as possible. Now, what is their situation this year? Is Ariza going to just fill into the Crowder slot? Are they going to keep another big alongside Bam? I don't know, but I do think the Heat are more of a contender than people have given them credit for because with Jimmy Butler, I believe they're 19 and 7 now. Jimmy Butler's so good. I, I'm having, I mean, I guess everybody should have kind of had the wake up call during the, the bubble and especially the finals last year, but like, he's so good, man. Like, what he does on, on both ends of the floor and he takes big shots, it seems like he's much more like comfortable offensively. He was always one of those guys, kind of like Jokic. I mean, he's not shooting that much, but like, Jokic was always like, Hey man, you got to be more aggressive. You're really, really good offensively. You don't need to pass all the time. You can try to score. And I feel like Butler's doing a little bit more of that, partly out of necessity because they've had so many guys out. But he just seems to be in so so much control on both ends. And you talk about players you trust in the playoffs. I mean, come on, doesn't get much better than Jimmy. I think they're still a major piece away from like actually beating the Nets. If if they got Kyle Lowry, now we're talking. Like now, that's a team that I think could like genuinely win the championship. I think right now the downgrade from Crowder to Ariza is pretty meaningful. There was some unsustainable, unsustainable bubble stuff last year, but like, I guess Ariza is an upgrade. Like it's nice to have him. Yeah. And Goran Dragic kind of played out of his mind last playoffs and he's been not that great this season. So, although he, he did have that 20 point fourth quarter against the Bulls <laughs> and lose some money. He the most important part, and I did right. not have him in daily fantasy that night, which I should have. But no, you know who's the daily fantasy king now? Moses Brown, my man. <laughs> Dude, just putting up monster double doubles with five blocks. Anyway, that all, there's always one of those guys in, in midseason, and the Heat are very familiar with that. Obviously, Hassan Whiteside was the king of that. There's always the one midseason surprise guy like that. Yeah, and they're going to get plenty of uh, plenty of run down the stretch. Any last thoughts on the P.J. Tucker deal and kind of how it helps shape the East or anything else? It's a good trade. It's not enough to unseat the Nets. I, I think we're both in agreement on that. The Nets are the very clear favorite, but we feel better about the Bucks. We do, and I think, you know, a lot of this is confidence, too. Having a guy who you trust, like we talked about, I think that always helps with the team, especially with the team that's, underperformed in the playoffs the last couple seasons, according to I, their regular I really want to see the Bucks use that second-round pick and some of their extra salary to get one more guy, a guard. like Whether it's Lou or somebody else, I think they're one piece short right now. Yeah, and that would be really interesting. Uh, does, does Giannis have any MVP cred this season, just real quickly? Honestly, he's second on my ballot right now. Because MB got hurt. We don't yeah, know how yeah. long he's going to be is, out. The Lakers are doing what the Lakers are doing. I am presuming that Embiid is just going to miss too many games for me to credibly vote for him. Like, maybe he doesn't, and I'm open-minded about that. But right now, for me, it's Jokic number one, Giannis number two, LeBron number three. Wow. What's your ballot? Like, where are you right now? I think I still have Embiid number one, um, just because he play, what he does on both ends. Like, defensively, he's such a monster. And he passed the eye test and all the advanced stats and all that stuff, but... I mean, if he's out a month, 
it's it's going to be really hard. I guess I'd Remember, probably. Remember, he already start. missed seven games. Like, yeah, I he's guess not I'd starting already. from zero here. I guess I'd already. I'd probably have Jokic second right now and LeBron third. Um, a lot can change though. Oh frick! I forgot Damian Lillard, man. That guy's so. Oh, good. don't let Brad listen. He's so Brad good. Brad has him number one right now. You know, he wrote that column last night. Brad. For those of you who don't know, the- we are still recording a podcast. <laughs> Brad Botkin at CBS Sports picked Damian Lillard as his MVP last night. He also I think said, head- yeah, go ahead. No, I, I'm trying to find the headline, so say what you were going to say. Well, I was just going to say, like, uh, there's it's it's almost like the all-star game where you're like, oh, this guy needs to be in the MVP con- you know, consideration. This guy's a top three MVP candidate. It's like, okay, well, who are you kicking out? Right, my view, and I have this argument all the time with Jazz fans who say that Rudy Gobert is an MVP candidate. Being a down-ballot candidate doesn't matter. I don't care if you finish fifth or sixth, if you are an MVP candidate, if I'm going to call you an MVP candidate, it's because I think you are a candidate to win MVP, like a genuine, like you have a real shot. Right. It's like, I just mentioned Jimmy Butler and everybody's like, well, he deserves to be in the conversation. It's like that. Who cares if you're not winning? Why are you in the conversation? Here's the headline. If Damian Lillard isn't your MVP after his latest 50 point masterpiece, you've got some explaining to do. Brad, I love you. Damian Lillard is not my MVP. I guess I do have some explaining to do, but I will write those thoughts at some point. Brad writes on emotion. Let's just put it that way. Sam Quinn, you're the MVP of this podcast, man. You carried us oh, through thank it. You. And uh, let's hopefully do this a lot more in the coming week because there's probably... We're going to have stuff to talk about. There's going to be a lot more deals. Well, I don't know. Everyone always says it's going to be a quiet trade deadline, and then a bunch of stuff ends up happening. So I don't know. Are you expecting a flurry of events or, or just like a trickle or two? I remember last year being at the CBS Sports offices in Fort Lauderdale. It's like an hour before the deadline and not much has happened. And then all of a sudden, boom, D'Angelo Russell, boom, Andre Drummond, boom. I think there was one other big one. I can't remember what it was. But, like, I am just never going to write off a trade deadline after that. I think that we're probably going to get some activity. Yeah, and we'll be ready. We'll be right here. Sam Quinn, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. Pleasure as always, my friend.